This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you're a loser, tune in and you'll be a winner. It's the Moranalytics Podcast. Talking Buffalo sports, Yankees, WWE, 80s music, and pop culture. And now, here's your host, Patrick Moran. Let's let him hear it all the way down to Atlanta. We're still here! 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 Yeah, 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 yeah. That is the voice of Tom Brady. Actually, let me walk that back. That is the voice of ultimate underdog Tom Brady talking about his ultimate underdog New England Patriots who are only going to, what, their ninth Super Bowl in the past 18 years, speaking at a get-hyped rally in Foxborough before leaving for Atlanta. By the way, why do you even get a rally when you pretty much go to the Super Bowl every goddamn year? Oh, yeah, that's right, because in their minds, no one expected it. The New England Patriots are underdogs, and no one saw this coming. (laughs) No one saw this coming except literally everyone who picks them every single year to win the AFC East, as they should. It's a cakewalk division for them every year. They always end up getting one of the top two seeds in a bye. Then they win at home, and then divisional round, and then bam, they're in the AFC Championship virtually every year. Now, granted, sure, they went to Kansas City, and they beat the Chiefs. And over time, the Chiefs were favored by, I think, a field goal, something around that. But it should be shocking know that they were underdogs. They beat the Chiefs earlier this year. Patrick Mahomes, as amazing as he is, as great as he is, undoubtedly deserves to win NFL MVP. This was his first full year as a starter. Is anyone really shocked at that outcome of that game? Shouldn't be. They're the New England Patriots. They're the favorites. They always are. Well, unless you're a New England Patriot fan and you like that bullshit model that no one believes in you, we're still here. Stop. You know, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but last week on my podcast, if you tune in, you heard. I grabbed my microphone, I hit that record button, and I told anyone who's listening out there that by the fourth quarter of that game in Kansas City last week, I found myself rooting for Tom Brady. I did. I'm embarrassed by it thoroughly. But I I rooted for him, man. I wanted to see the Patriots in the Super Bowl again. Why not watch a dynasty while you still can? Tom Brady's the greatest quarterback who's ever lived. Why would I not want to watch him play in a Super Bowl? But just don't feed me that underdog bullshit, man. I hate it. I promise you this much. I will not be rooting for the Patriots again on Sunday. I'm 100% all in for the Rams. All in. So go fuck off, Tom, with that underdog story bullshit. You're the greatest of all time. I got to hand it to you. This team is a treat to watch, and I think someday down the road, we'll really appreciate 
just how incredible they are. Maybe the greatest franchise, if not in football, maybe in the history of sports right now. They're like the Yankees of, of the 50s or, or in the 20s that won every single year. That's the New England Patriots. That's how great they are. Just don't try to insult us, our intelligence, by feeding us any more bullshit about being underdogs. Stop it. Stupid. So on that note, welcome to episode number 89 of the Analytics podcast, taped from the Anchor Loop Studio here in Bradenton, Florida. Today is Tuesday, January 29th, 2019. I am Patrick Moran. Now that I got my Tom Brady angst, my Tom Brady rant out of the way, coming up on today's show, I have a chat with WROC Channel 8 sports reporter in Rochester, New York. Dan Fates will be my guest. We talk about his growing up in Rochester, a big fan of the Buffalo Sabres. Obviously not surprising given the location, but he was also a big fan of the Atlanta Braves and that absurdly dominant pitching rotation that Atlanta had in the mid-90s. We also discuss what he considers the advantages of going to a small school for college, how he got his job at WROC, the fun and the not-so-fun parts of being a sports reporter, I get his thoughts on Twitter, his assessment of a few key Buffalo Sabres prospects that he sees regularly in Rochester. We talk a little bit about the office because of course we do. And we finish with me putting Dan through my now world famous mini lightning round. So from Jenny Light to Robert, California, it's a fun interview. I'll have that for you shortly. Also on the card today, I got my man Aaron Quinn from CoverOne.net returning. I had him on as a featured guest a few weeks ago, and I told you guys, I said I was going to have him back regularly for a segment. Well, I still don't have a segment title for it, but I will soon enough. Plus, who really cares about a title? Today, Aaron and I are discussing the Senior Bowl week. He provides some insight on a handful of prospects that very well may be of interest to Buffalo Bills fans. We talk about how UB prospects Tyree Jackson and Anthony Johnson performed during the Senior Bowl. And then I ramp up the Moranalytics interest meter with a variety of topics, and Aaron scores them. He has a few thoughts on each. Here's a spoiler alert. It's a we are the world kind of segment. Sandwiched between those two guys, I have some thoughts on Sunday's WWE Royal Rumble event, a show that I thought was pretty good, but far too long. It's a very packed show. That's how we get down at the Analytics podcast. I try to have a little something for everyone. Let's get that ball rolling right now. Here's my interview with Rochester sports reporter and anchor, Dan Fates. My guest today is a sports anchor and reporter at WROC Channel 8 covering the Bills, Sabres, Amherst, and high school sports in the Rochester area. He's also a big fan of The Office, which we're going to hit on, and he's a fun follow on Twitter. I'm talking about Dan Fates. What's going on, Dan? How you doing? Good. I appreciate it. I appreciate the fun follow. That means <laughs> yeah. a lot to me. Yeah, you're a fun follow on Twitter, and you're the <laughs> second Rochester TV sportscaster I've had on this show. I've had Jenna Cottrell on not too long ago. Big fan of hers. So you're number two Absolutely. now. You're number two in the Rochester market. I'll take it. I used to work with Jenna and we're really good friends. So I'm honored to, uh, I, I know I got big shoes to fill following her. <laughs> well, I want to keep the format the same that I usually do when I get a sports media person on. 
kind of go back to the beginning and give fans an opportunity to know you a little bit more beyond just the work that you do, beyond just being on TV and on the air. So let's go back to the beginning. You are a Rochester native, growing up in Webster, New York. What was it like for you growing up in Webster? I was, I liked it. I mean, it was, uh, I always grew up around sports. So that was what I, you know, I had the, the big dreams of either being in the NHL or playing in the MLB. And while I had uh, supportive and loving parents, they told me I should probably think of a backup plan. So I realized that, you know, if I couldn't be the, the player being interviewed after scoring the big goal or having the big hit, I figured, you know, it'd be a lot of fun to be the guy doing the interviewing. So that was kind of where my uh, passion for sports came um, and just always kind of being around. There, there was a hockey rink built about when I was eight years old there in Webster and kind of just lived there for uh, for a while and uh, was just all around sports. That's all I I joke around. My only two passions I really know are sports and, uh, and alcohol. So that's about it. <laughs> so who were a few of your favorite teams and athletes growing up as a kid? Were you that hometown sports fan or did you like teams from other towns growing up as a kid? I, I always liked the Sabres. I mean, I think that was just the way that it was. They were always on. And, and I think that was a big thing for me, being able to watch a team constantly. So the Sabres were always on with, it was Empire Network, I think, at the time when I probably started watching them. And then for me, it was, the, I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan. When people ask me what my favorite team is, I'm probably the most diehard Atlanta Braves fan because growing up, you know, the Yankees and Mets were always on TV. My dad hated the Yankees and I just couldn't stand the Mets on SNY. So the Braves were always on TBS. So during the summers, I was the, I was the goofy kid that would stay home and I would, I would do a scorebook. I would keep score and track of the, of the Braves games. And, you know, I was born on game seven of the 1991 world series where the Braves the year before were the worst team in baseball and they were the best team in baseball. And that was the start of uh, 14 straight division titles. So I guess I kind of took around that I was born into being a Braves fan and, I was very fortunate to to grow up in an era of where division titles were expected because they won them every single year watching Javi Lopez and Chipper Jones. And, you know, I, I grew up playing, obviously grew up playing baseball and wanted to be a switch hitter, just like Chipper Jones stole his stance and it wanted to be everything like uh, everything like Chipper. Well, I'll tell you what, man, the Braves were automatic, like you said, back in the day, and they probably had the best pitching rotation maybe in baseball history in the mid nineties when they had, what was it? Maddox, Glavin, Smoltz, Avery, I mean, that's just a filthy pitching staff. Good team and a good pitching staff to grow up rooting for, man. Wow. It was awesome. And then to only win one World Series out of all of that is what, you know, I always get everybody always bust my chops about. But it was to to be able to know that I was going to be able to come home in August or September and know that there was playoff baseball and a team I could root for was was always fun. Now, you mentioned growing up a sports fan and, you know, knowing fairly young that being on the other side and being the one to interview athletes was something that you may want to do. What led you into going to SUNY for Donia for college? I'm assuming sports journalism had a lot to do with it. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to play college baseball. That was, that was a big thing for me. And uh, um, as a 17 year old kid, that was all you kind of really thought about. And uh, my parents were ones to say, you know, you got to get an education too, because you're probably not going to the show. And my mom had actually gone to Fredonia. And so I was very adamant that I would never go to a school that my mom attended. And there was a, a baseball tournament or there was a showcase there. One of the days during the summer, I went to a showcase as well as played in a couple like hockey tournaments in Buffalo. And my parents said, we'll just drive by it. We'll just drive through the college and we'll see. And really kind of fell in love with, with the school and the small town of Fredonia. 
At one point, it had the most bars per capita in an area, so that was also cool. And the yeah, they had huge. a little bit of a a village, and there was stuff to do. And then when I went to the school, uh, you know, I knew that as a sports journalist that there wasn't going to be a ton of money in it. So a state school was uh, was I thought a wise choice. And I also had the opportunity to. They were just starting a journalism program. They had never done it before. So I had gone there just kind of on a whim of. You know, I'll blog, I'll do, you know, be around sports and that'll help. And I did play-by-play and color commentary for the Division Three hockey team on the local TV and radio. So I also got to, you know, do intermission reports and do all that coverage. So I, I really enjoyed that. It was a great opportunity because unlike a bigger school, and I'm not docking a Syracuse or something like that, you know, I did whatever I wanted because I would say, hey, I want to do a radio show. And they'd be like, okay, when do you want to start? And I was like, I don't know. They're like, you want to do it tomorrow? And I was like, okay. And I got to do a radio show. So there were a lot of opportunities there at a small school, which I, I, I'm really thankful for. What was your experience like there looking back now? Like I said, you, you, know, you got to cover sports. You got to learn about covering sports. You got to play. Had to be a pretty fun time in your life. You know, people, I think they grow up and they want to grow up too fast. And, you know, next thing you know, you're in high school and, and then bam, you got a career and you don't have fun in college. It sounds like you had a really good time with your college years and a great time. You know, I, I want baseball was my main focus. I always joke around about that. Uh, communication major, you know, in journalism, it, it wasn't too difficult. I started my own blog. I really enjoyed doing that. And while, you know, kids were my, my roommate was spending hours and hours in the library. I was spending time, you know, talking to the hockey coach about their power play and, and, and their penalty kill and their upcoming opponents. And I was spending it, you know, working out and training to, to, to try and be better at baseball and, you know, investing into, you know, I thought that the more I did and the different types of things, writing for the school newspaper, you know, having a radio show, doing the TV broadcast, I, I wanted to try and dip my toe into as many things as I could so that when I got out into the real world, I had a little bit of everything kind of experience and to go, you know what, radio was really cool. TV's awesome. You know, I, I can always kind of do some writing on the side. And, uh, you know, I, I really, I tell kids when they ask about internships, I go, just do as much as you can, you know, just try as many things as you can and find out which one sticks and you love the most. Sure. Now, after college, you worked at a couple different places, getting your feet wet, learning the business, so to speak, before ultimately in 2016, landing your job at WROC Channel 8. How did that opportunity come about for you? How did that play out? Yeah, I was. Uh, I actually started. Got a start in Elmira, New York. I was there for 15 months in Market 175, and I always joke that uh, 15 months in Elmira is 15 months too long. But uh, <laughs> it it was it was good to get my feet wet. Um, I learned about you know Watkins Glen International and, and 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 the racing scene and NASCAR coming to town and you know them selling out their their events. Uh, you know every year is, is just outstanding. And I always wanted to come home. I think that was a big thing for me. And, and to know that Elmira was kind of a, was kind of a minor league step to call up to the, you know, the big leagues of Rochester, which I always wanted to. And uh, when an opportunity arose, I was uh, very, very happy to, to come home. I had a fiance at the time and my family's here and her family's here. So it was, you know, to, to come back to cover teams that I played against and played for is it, it's, it, I'm really a very lucky guy to be doing this job, to be able to come home and to still be doing it. Oh, absolutely. Anytime you get an opportunity to come home, that's always a good thing. I'm sure there's plenty of cool things, but what would you consider 
the coolest part of your job right now. Someone comes up to you and says, man, there's probably so many parts of this thing that must be a lot of fun. To you personally, what's the coolest part of your job? There's nothing like being on the sidelines of an NFL game. There's just nothing. There's nothing that compares to it between the energy and to know how fortunate you are and, and to be, you know, a kid that grew up wanting to be around sports. If you would have told me at you know 12 years old that, you know, you're going to be able to be in Miami when the Bills clinch a playoff berth after 17 years of not making it, I would have said you're crazy. You know, the opportunity that I've gotten to to travel and to be on the sidelines of a Bills game and an NFL game. And when people, you know, we dog on the refs, but the game is so fast. It's it's a standing, you know, you see it on your couch and even from the stands to be on the sidelines and, and, and to be a part of it is absolutely insane. And it's by far the biggest reward, you know, when a touchdown comes right at you. Um, I was on the sidelines for the snow game um, two years ago against Indianapolis. I was in Miami when the Bills clinched the playoff berth. It was, those are just two things that I know I'll tell my kids about and that I'll never forget. Sure. Now, conversely, on the other side, what would you consider the toughest part of your job? Because anybody who works in sports media in any capacity knows that doing it is not always just fun and games? Uh, probably besides wearing makeup on a daily basis, um, it'd probably be uh, <laughs> just the fact of the hours. Hours are tough. I think, uh, you know, we're kind of night owls. You know, we you um, go in at three o'clock and you leave when when everything's done. Could be one, two o'clock in the morning. So it, it, that's that's the other side of the coin. You know, it's, it's long days. And while it's, it's fun to do it for a Bills game, you know, I'll, I'll I have no problem working a 13-hour day to cover the Bills home game. It's Sometimes it can be a, a long day when it's a Saturday covering, you know, five high school basketball games right. and turning around and getting on a show. When we said before, the best part is the payoff is the NFL coverage, but you also got to do the the small town stuff too. Sure. Sports media can be fun. It could also be extremely cutthroat at times. I mean, you have peers who you become friends with in the business, but at the same time, it's also a competition too. You're competing for stories, you know, scoops, interviews, you know, different ways yeah. to cover something. It can be a tricky line to balance sometimes that friendship and competition. You know what I mean? How do you do that? Yeah, that was one of the first things you always talk about talking to having Jenna Cottrell on the show. Um, it is interesting. She was my boss when I was in Elmira. She was my sports director and I was the reporter. And then when she went to Channel 13 here in Rochester and a job opened up, at channel eight at WROC, it was one of those things where it was like, wow, we were on the same team. And, you know, we kind of went to battle together and it was kind of that, that funny thing of looking at each other going like, now we're going to battle against one another, yeah. you know, we're, you know, and, and a lot of stories, you know, if it's, if it's a big story, everybody's going to do it. So it's, it is that friendly competition, especially with, with other people to know, like, well, we're both going to do this story, but I want mine to be better. I'm going to take this different angle. I'm going to try and get this extra interview or this extra question in. And so you're right. It, it is very cutthroat. It, it is a lot of, unfortunately, comparing yourself to other people, which is tough at times. But I think that's kind of what pushes you to to try and get that that best story or to try and get that scoop and to say, you know, we got something that nobody else has. How do you feel about social media, particularly Twitter? Because the times have changed. You know what I mean? Twitter, it can be a great thing to help you build a following. It allows you to deliver your work to everybody who follows you literally instantly. And that aspects Twitter is fantastic, especially in today's sports media world, but it could also be a really nasty place because there's 
trolls out there who live to, to get under your skin. You know, they'll say or tweet, I should say, whatever they can to try to rile you up. You know what I mean? It, it, no matter what you do, absolutely. And no matter who you are, you could be a local reporter, you could be Adam Schefter, you could be Josh Allen, you could be Jim Kelly, does not matter. You're going to have your share of t- trolls on Twitter that try to make you know, your day hell. How do you balance that? And how do you feel about Twitter? Because again, on one end, it's a fantastic tool that frankly, in today's world, you need, but yeah. it could also be a tough thing as well. Yeah. I think Twitter has changed the, the journalism world, not just for sports, but obviously also news with anything that gets anything that happens with the president or anything that happens in, in, in any form. Um, it, it needs to be reported instantly. And in, it makes it that dangerous thing of you better be right. You know, you don't want to be the first one. You want to be the first person that's right. Right. And so sure. it, th- that's tricky, but it's also changed our jobs where, you know, we are now working 24 seven, you know, right now, if, if something broke with the bills, you know, that it would be my job to either get a web story up or to tweet out a, a quote or to get something like that. It doesn't matter. You know, whether you say like, well, I'm at the office from, you know, 3 PM to, to midnight. Well, if something goes on and James Harden's dropping, you know, 50 points out on the West coast, you know, I think that there's something that we need to cover or, or that we need to have a say in, or, you know, maybe people kind of crazy to think, you know, want to hear what we have to say about it. So it, it, it's made journalism a 24 hour job. And, you know, you talk about how the trolls and yeah, it, it's tough because you may, you may have something that you think is right, but everybody has their own opinion. Everybody has a, um, a, a wall that they can hide behind and that's where the venom comes from. And, and that, you know, that vindictive nature of, you know, I always joke, I, I'm not necessarily, I've never claimed to be a Bills fan. I cover the team. A lot of my friends are Bills fans and they say, sometimes I'm, I'm too hard on the team. And I say it's the team that I cover. So it's, I call a circle, a circle. I call a square, a square. If I was covering the Browns or the Packers, I would also be, you know, I'm not going to be a flag waver. It's, it's, it's my job to report on the team and when sometimes you say something that fans don't like, they, they take offense to it. And it's nothing personal. It's just, hey, this team's not playing well. And here's my opinion on why. I agree with you 100%. And, you know, I kind of prefer when a reporter is not a fan of a team. I've had this conversation with Mike Rodak before. He's gotten a lot of shit from Bills fans. Oh, not so oh, much yeah. not so much now, but when he first got here, I mean, he's a New England guy, you know, People would perceive him as being a Patriots fan, which he admitted he grew up a Patriots fan. So he had to you sure. know, change when he got his job, but he's not a Bills fan and he didn't grow up a Bills fan. So we'd get a lot of shit because God forbid you're critical of a team that hadn't made the playoffs for 17 straight years. You know what I mean? Exactly. And that's the thing is that, you know, people only want to hear what they want to hear. And if something goes against what their belief is, they think that you're wrong. And the thing is about opinions is that, it is what it is. Everybody has their own. There's no right or wrong opinion. That's what makes an opinion. It's not a fact. It's, Hey, here's my analysis of being around a team, being on the sidelines, being in the locker room. You know, I have more access than somebody that maybe is just a season ticket holder. And I probably have a different pers- I know I have a different perspective. You know, I didn't grow up a bills fan. So I'm just reporting. I'm just lucky to be in an NFL locker room. And here's what I'm saying. And here's the vibe of what it is. Right. How do you handle those trolls on Twitter? Because different people handle it different ways. I know some sports media folk that pretty much will block anyone who the first time, you know, they get under the skin, they block them. Then there's other guys like Mike Harrington or Tim Graham or the complete opposite. 
They engage these people and argue with them sometimes to a fault. You know, I've had conversations with Mike and Tim, and I'm like, why do you bother? This guy's got 24 <laughs> followers, and he's, yeah. and he's saying your shit, and you're going back and forth with them. You know what I mean? How do you yeah. balance it? Do you ignore it? Do you block them? Do you engage them? What do you do when someone's really annoying you? And you can tell that they're completely doing it on purpose. Yeah, I think it depends on uh, what time of day it is and what mood I'm in. You know, if I want to, <laughs> if if I want to put the gloves on, and I've had a a couple of Jenny lights, maybe I'll I'll, I'll engage. I'll admit it. I think we've all been there. Of you know, you get to this this for whatever reason, this battle of I'm right, you're wrong. When nothing's ever going to be solved, it's not like you're going to go. Oh, by the way, that's a good point. You're right. I'm wrong. And yeah, the the block button can help at times, but you understand that you know. The problem is, is that there's when it's in with a text message, you can't get a tone. So I like to tweet sarcastic things, whether it's the bills or the sabers or whatever. And I'll tweet something sarcastic and nobody can take it as sarcasm. They think that I'm saying a hard stance when I'm just joking around. And, you know, when I was when the bill where the sabers were on their 10 game winning streak, and I said, oh, the sabers are never going to lose again. And everybody's like, why would you say that? You're going to jinx them. And I was like, really? Like, that's what you're, that's what you think this is? Like that my tweet's going to ruin the Sabres winning streak. (laughs) And so things like that. And, but there are some things that, you know, I may feel more passionate about than others that, you know, I'll go to battle for and I'm right. And here's why. And you may not understand that, but this is what I know, maybe more factually than your, just, just your opinion. I'm with Dan Fates, by the way. Jenny Light, so Rochester. Oh, absolutely. Grew up on this stuff. <laughs> That's awesome, man. I, you can't get that down here in Florida, by the way. I mean, there, there might be a- one. There's like a Buffalo bar that has Buffalo connections, sure. and maybe you might get lucky, but for the most part, you ain't you ain't finding Jen, no Jenny or Jenny Light down here in the South. I can tell when you. When I used to go. When I used to go to college parties and you'd bring your own beer to the place, I always knew if anybody stole my beer because I was the only one that had Jenny Light. <laughs> so if I saw another kid with a Jenny Light can, I was like, hey, it's funny. Where'd you get that? <laughs> oh, I brought it. And I was like, I don't think so. That's probably mine. <laughs> uh, all right. So anyway, you grew up a sports fan. You knew that you wanted to be in sports journalism rather early. I'm sure you followed a lot of people growing up. Who were a couple of your biggest sports media influences? Uh, nationally, you know, that was, I just remember waking up every morning too and watching sports center. So that was the, that was the heyday of ESPN with, you know, Stuart Scott and, you know, Scott Van Pelt and Dan Patrick, you know, I still listen to Dan Patrick almost every day. Mm-hmm. You know, and those were the guys that I went, man, they live the life. You know, you just talk about sports, you yuck it up and then you go on with the rest of your day. And so those were, that was what my dream always was, was to get to network was that, that was always what the goal was when you were a 16 year old kid. And I was like, I'm going to do journalism. You know, a lot of kids when they went to college, you know, my friend's parents would be like, Oh, we don't know what Corey's going to do. And I was like, well, I know what I'm going to do. Like, I, I just know this is what I want to do. I want to, I want to talk in front of a camera. I want to be on the radio and I want to be talking sports. And then locally there were a lot of guys that, you know, gave me opportunities to shadow them. You know, there was guys here locally. John DeTulio's had a, a long career in Rochester. Um, calls, he had his own radio show. He had, let me intern on the radio show. And Mike Catalana at Channel 13, he, you know, I grew up watching him. Even my boss now, Thad Brown. I remember winning a state title and Thad Brown calling the highlights. So it, it it's all come full circle where I have so much respect for these people that have been in the business for so long and have lasted so long that they must know what they're doing because they're still around. I think it's an advantage to know 
what you want to do with your life when you're young. You mentioned knowing by the age of 16. I have a 16-year-old son, and I'm not trying to throw shade to my own son right now, but he's 16. <laughs> Dude ain't got no clue what he wants to do when he gets older. You know what I mean? I think it's yeah. good to know what you want early on because it, it, it inspires you and you start working towards achieving that even at an early age. Yeah, it was, it was, when I, I never really had any question. I, I knew, I, I always liked talking <laughs> to anybody that would listen. And that was always kind of the thing of like, you know, I was just, I wanted to know everything about sports. I wanted to, you know, test, you know, I liked the sports Jeopardy stuff. I liked sports trivia questions. I liked, I liked all of that and just being around the atmosphere. There's, there's a buzz around sports. And I was initially, you know, just totally attracted to it. And whether it was playing or, being in the stands and now being in the press box, there's just, there's nothing really like it. Now you live and work in sports in Rochester. So obviously you see plenty of the Amherst. I'm sure there's plenty of Buffalo Sabres fans listening right now. that want to know how Brendan Gooley and Alex Nylander are looking right now. Nylander only has eight goals in 40 games. Maybe that's misleading. Gooley's stats are underwhelming as well, but again, maybe that's misleading as well. What's your take on these two guys right now? I've had a man crush on Brandon Gooley since he came up. So I like that. That's all full disclosure. Cause I think that he is, you know, especially when he arrived and was 19 years old, I, I just thought the world of this kid going like, this is what the next NHL, this is what an NHL defenseman in the new age NHL is supposed to look like. And he has had an average year for himself. I think he'd be the first one to tell you that. And we asked, I asked Chris Taylor about this just the other day about, you know, you know, with pilot being called up to the Amherst, you know, seemingly signed and, and, seems like he got fast tracked and now seems like he's you know got a nice place up there in Buffalo. What does that say about Brendan Gooley's progress? And he was the first one to say, and, and I didn't even realize this pilot is two years older than Brendan Gooley pilots, 23. He played five years in the top league in Sweden. So he's played higher competition. He's older. He's just a little bit more experienced. And Taylor said that was a big reason why he got the call up first. And that's why he's saying that. And, and the fact that they're on different, time frames they're on different tracks pilots track was a lot faster to get up there but they're still very pleased with how brendan Gooley's progress has been there, there isn't any panic button to hit um he did make the hl all-star team he was a replacement for zach redmond but there's still a lot of hope a lot of promise here with brendan Gooley that he's still 21 it's crazy to think that there's no reason to hit the panic button just yet for for Gooley fans out there and to think that while right now he's probably not a top six defenseman in this organization, you know, another year, some more muscle, and maybe he becomes that guy because I think he's right on the cusp right now. On the other side, for Alexander Nylander, uh, he's turning quickly into what I would consider a, a Justin Bailey, Nick Baptiste, guys that have been on their way out recently. Uh, he really just doesn't seem to adapt to this style of play. Um Taylor and the guys have always preached physicality and finishing checks. And that's just something that Nylander is not going to bring to the table. And while Nylander has better numbers this year, actually than he did last year, it's kind of hard to do with how bad his numbers were last year. And being at some games, Nylander is forgettable. There, there are times when I realize I have to check the stat sheet to go, did Nylander play today? And I'll realize he had an assist, but his assist, his assist is, wrapping the puck around the boards and a shot goes in from the point and you realize, Oh, he was the last player to pass. So it, it, the, Nylander has quickly, what I think is being passed up by guys like CJ Smith, who came up already and had an instant progress. I think Victor Olofsson will be the next guy from Rochester to get a call up to Buffalo. So 
it seems like Nylander's quickly getting passed up and you, know, you kind of wonder, you know, what could have been because it just doesn't seem like it's clicking for him down here. Really glad that you brought up Victor Olofsson because I was going to ask you about him next. A lot of Sabre fans know that name as well. Him and Nylander are probably the two most well-known forwards. Do you think this kid is close to being NHL ready? What's your take on him? How's he looking in Rochester? Yeah, he's he's a guy that makes an impact every time he's on the ice. It, it just kind of, that's how good he is. Like I said, whereas Nylander is forgettable, you always know when Olafson's out on the ice. His shot is insane. He's been not only, you know, you think about just, oh, he's a shooter, but the way that he's set up players, the way that he's, you know, worked hard in the corners. He's He's been, him and CJ Smith have been two guys that have quickly stood out um, that they have an NHL future. And it was, you know, to, to see CJ come back down, you know, he scored his first career NHL goal and then gets sent down 72 hours later. And instead of sulking about it and, you know, they even asked him, you know, what was it like? And he's like, yeah, I was pissed. Yeah, this sucks. Like, I don't want to be here. I want to be in, in Buffalo. And then the next night he goes out and scores a hat trick. And it's like, oh, wow. Like, that's how you're supposed to respond. You know, I think that's a great message for the rest of the team. And Taylor talked about him last year. You know, he was, he was undrafted. You know, this was a, a guy that he's maybe five, six on a good day and isn't afraid to do anything. You know, he's the kind of guy that you want to have on your line because he's going to do all the work and he'll also, he can finish too. We're going to start to wind down here. Not, I'm not going to deep dive into the office. I did bring it up at the top here. <laughs> you know that I love the show. It's my favorite TV show ever. And I also learned that you're a big fan of it. And I'm going to start doing some specific installments on here about The Office. I don't know what I'm going to call yet. But when I do, I've already told you this. I'm going to have you on. We'll talk more in depth about it. I do want to ask you this, though. What is it about The Office that really drew you to that show? It was the way that the show was different. It was different than any other show that was being filmed at the time. From It it really kind of took down that that fourth wall or, you know, that, that... they were being filmed in a TV show, but they knew they were being filmed. So they interacted with the cameras. It was just kind of something that I'd never seen before. And my brother, I'll, I'll give him all the credit. I have a, full, uh, a brother that's four years older than me. And we both, he was really into the first season and I didn't really care for the first season, which you know, I, I now tell people if they want to get into the show, if they've never seen it, skip the first season. You really don't need it. You can pick it up at season two. Um, but when season two really took off and you had all the storylines, you had, you had a little bit of everything and the way that, you know, Jim would look at the camera or the way they'd pull pranks and, you know, they would laugh in front of the camera or just, just all of those things was just something I'd never seen before. And it was, you know, now I've watched, I don't know the, I've watched it front to back probably eight, nine times. It's just, and it's, it's an evergreen show. It it doesn't matter, you know, if it's on if it's on TV or if I'm just going through Netflix. It doesn't matter what season I pick or what episode I pick. It's a good it, it's a good one. I'll tell you what, man. If I had a dollar for every time I went on Netflix intending to watch something else, getting into a new show, <laughs> yeah. or finding a, a documentary to watch, and then I would be strolling around. At the end of the day, I would just put back on the Office. I probably would be rich. Now, even the people who are the biggest Office fans, generally speaking, hated the last two seasons after Michael Scott was gone. Are you one of them too? No, I'm not. And I know that, 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 that's like the minority. I still liked it. I still thought, I still thought they had good episodes. I thought Andy developed into a great boss and Robert California was the perfect awkwardness. Um, and made you feel almost feel uncomfortable watching the show. Uh, the only, the only downfall was, was like the Pam and Jim drama at the end. 
that that kind of sucked because you always you always looked at them as oh they're always great. But besides that, I thought everybody after Michael was still serviceable. It was still good enough. Sure, nothing's going to beat seasons, you know, two through five or two through six or the last episode with Michael. But I still thought it held its. It, I still thought it held its weight. I thought D'Angelo Vickers was phenomenal, having Will Ferrell on the show, um, and the way that it seemed like everybody else kind of stepped up between Daryl or you know just Andy becoming more of a character and just all of that. I, I really enjoyed everything all the way up into the finish. I'll tell you what, and when I start doing these regular installments, I'll have you back on, and maybe we'll have a discussion about the last two seasons, and that'll be the topic. I generally agree with you, and what I liked about Robert California is that they didn't try to replace Michael Scott with another Michael Scott. You know what I mean? He was completely different, completely different type of character, was nothing like Michael Scott. I agree with you for the most part about Andy. The one thing I didn't like is it kind of felt like once he became the boss, he kind of felt like a poor man's Michael Scott in some ways. You know what I mean? He got really nasty with Toby, kind of became a little more unlikable around the office. At least that's it. Again, we'll have a more thorough discussion about that another time. But I completely agree with you about Robert California. I think he was an underrated character. When you look back, one more question, and then we're going to get to mini lightning round to wrap up here. Who was probably your favorite character on the show? Like, if you could pick one person that you liked above all the rest, who would it be? I'd probably go with Kevin. I mean, he's, he was just so perfect. Yeah. I mean, he was, he was just, my brother actually got me a shirt for Christmas that uh, Rain Wilson was selling t-shirts for, um, he, you buy a t-shirt and it goes to different foundations that, that he's supporting. And uh, I have a shirt now that says uh, Kevin's homemade chili. It's probably the best thing that I do. And just like that, just little things like that were just what set Kevin apart for any time he said something. And Toby's underrated too. And I know we'll get into this another time, but Toby's underrated too for how good of a character that he was as well. Yeah, I agree with you. And I'm looking forward to doing that another time with you. Now we're going to wrap up mini lightning round. Here's how it works, Dan. I'm just going to ask you a handful of random questions. No deep thought required. Whatever the first thing is that pops in your head, that'll be your answer. You good with that? You got it. All right, man, let's go. Favorite all-time athlete? As I said before, Chipper Jones. Chipper Jones or Maximum Fenegana, both two guys that I watched growing up and thought like, man, I wish I could be like them. I tucked my jersey in the side just like a Fenegenov, and that was kind of what it was like. <laughs> Favorite non-sports-related activity to do, and golf doesn't count. You can't say golf, because to me, that's still sports. Is drinking count? I drink it counts. All right, drinking. <laughs> I, got a, I, got, I, got a, I got a nice bar cart with whiskeys and gins and, and bourbons, so that's what that's, you know, we talked about after long days, coming home and having a beer and a bourbon is a, is a good way to end it. I agree with you, man. It's a good choice there. What's your favorite city to visit? Now that you've been covering the Bills and, you know, covering sports, you've had a chance to do some traveling. What's your favorite city to visit? Ooh, um, when I went to the Bay, California was um, San Francisco area when they played um, when they played the Rams. No, when they played Oakland, Oakland by the Bay. That was the coolest city I've ever been to. You know, I got to go back to the non-sports related activity question because I just remembered you're the second straight person who actually said drink. And I had Kevin Sylvester on last week and he said the same thing. I think I may have offended him though. I think I may have accidentally accused him of being an alcoholic based on his answer. <laughs> hey, Kevin Sylvester. Kevin Sylvester also went to Fredonia State. Yes, he did. Yeah, he did. All right. Who's the most entertaining fellow sports reporter you know? I know you know a lot of them, whether it's Rochester, Buffalo, wherever. Somebody that you know that you've been around that 
is really entertaining. They make you laugh. They're just fun to be around. Who do you got? Oh, that's a good one. Um, John Doss. He's a good friend of mine. He used to work at Channel 13. Now he's out in Cleveland. He actually uh, married my wife and I. He's an ordained minister. So Doss, John Doss is one of the best. And he's got a voice, like Hall of Fame worthy voice. What's your favorite sports movie? The Replacements. And I know I'll get flack for this, but Shane Falco in that movie. I know I'll get flack, but that, 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 whenever that movie comes on, clear my schedule for the next hour and a half. <laughs> All right. This might be a tough question for you. If you had never gotten involved in broadcast journalism in any capacity, when it, obviously if you didn't make it as a professional baseball player, if none of that had worked out for you, what do you think you may have went on to do with your life? Now, this may be a tough question because again, we've been talking now for a good, I don't know, 30, 35 minutes. I haven't heard you talk about anything other than sports. So what would you have done? You think? I think I would have been a, uh, a cook or like a chef. I think I, I think I would go back to do like culinary school. Okay. I think that's what I, because I, I've thought about that recently. And I, think, I think I'd go to culinary school and, and, and be like a, an executive chef or try to do something like that. All right. Interesting there. Second last question. If Twitter were to send you a note and say, yo, Dan, we got a new policy. We're only going to allow you to follow one person or one handle on Twitter. And that's it. Only one. Who would it be? Man, that's, that's such a good question. Um, maybe I'll get some flack for this too, but uh, Pat McAfee, former punter for the Indianapolis Colts, his Twitter, he may be one of the funniest people on the face of the earth. And uh, he's, he's, he's really good follow. He is. And his podcast is outstanding. I, I, I it's, follow it's him phenomenal. Too. He's right up there for me too. All right. Last question. Same one. I always ask three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, any era, who you got? Uh, we've said all, uh, it's no secret. Uh, I'd like to have dinner with Tripper Jones to hear about those Braves heydays. Um, we'll throw in to make it a fun dinner. We'll throw in John Taffer, um, to get to know a bit more about the bar industry and George Washington. Let's go real old school. I want to learn more about our nation's history. Nice. All right, man. That's good stuff. All right, folks, follow Dan on Twitter at Dan Fates. I'm going to put that in the show notes. Lots of good stuff on his Twitter feed. Thanks, man. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate your time. I look forward to having you on again when we do the office talk. Good stuff, man. Hey, I really appreciate it. And yeah, like I said, I, I really appreciate this. This was a whole lot of fun and, and looking forward to some office talk. <laughs> All right, Dan, thanks for the interview. Okay, so I said right at the top of the show that I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about the Royal Rumble pay-per-view from Sunday night. I feel like it's only fitting seeing that on Friday's show, I had Mike Johnson on from PW Insider, and we spent a majority of that podcast going over the Royal Rumble and previewing it. All in all, I think it was a good show. It wasn't great. wasn't completely unpredictable, which for me... One of the things I look most forward to with the Royal Rumble every year is that I feel like it's one of the more unpredictable shows of the year. I only have two things about it that I completely don't like. Actually, you know what? Three things. Number one, it's just too long. Five hours is way too long. I don't care how big of a wrestling fan you are. When a main show is five hours, by the way, not even including the two-hour pre-show, but five hours for the main show, it's too long. No matter how big a fan you are, you're surviving that shit at the end. You're you're tired. You're fatigued. 
You're surviving it. You're not enjoying it. Too long. I know it's hard now because there's both a men's and a women's World Rumble, but find a way. They could have scrapped the Shane McMahon-Miz title match, the tag team title match. Have that on SmackDown or have that at Elimination Chamber in a couple weeks or have it before the Royal Rumble. Do something. Get that match off the card. That's a half hour right there if you had the Pro Bowls that go in beforehand. Maybe shave five minutes off the other four title matches. I mean, you got both men's and both women's titles being defended. I'm fine with that. But shave a little bit of time off them. They were too long. There you go. That's an hour right there. Four hours is long, but at least... It's more manageable. That's the number one problem I had. Number two, hated Becky Lynch tapping out in the middle of the ring on the opening match. I like Asuka winning. I got no problem with that. In fact, in hindsight, that's a great call. Make her dominant again. She used to be unbeatable. Then she lost to Charlotte at WrestleMania, and it kind of felt like she got lost in the shuffle a little bit. I like them putting the title on her last month, and I love them having her win clean in the middle of the ring by submission. She's right back to where she was when she first came to WWE. Love that. I just hate Becky Lynch tapping out in the middle of the ring. Bad call, bad booking, bad decision. Look, she's the last kicker. She's the man. She's the best shit talker on Twitter. She's a great shit talker on the mic. She's tough as nails. She'll fight you anywhere, anytime. Bad decision to have her tap. Have her pass out. I mean, Asuka's finisher is a fancy version of a chokehold of a sleeper hold, basically. They could have easily had Becky pass out from the pain. The ref raises her arm three times. She can't respond. She falls asleep, whatever, comes to afterwards and enters the Royal Rumble. I'm fine with all that, but she should not have tapped clean in the middle of the ring. I felt like that made her look weak. Don't like that at all. And then number three, I don't like Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles having to follow the Women's Royal Rumble. I would have had maybe Brock in that in that match next because it's a slow-paced match. I feel like Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles are two of the best wrestlers of this era or any era for that matter, but they never had a chance. That crowd was dead. They were tired from the Women's World Rumble that came on just before that. So I felt like that was terrible match booking and, and, and match placement. Besides that, overall, I, I do like it. I think Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch winning the Rumbles are definitely the right call. I like the fact that Vince didn't get too cute and that he didn't try to create a superstar before they're ready to become a main event match at WrestleMania. Seth Rollins absolutely deserves it. Becky Lynch completely deserves it. She'll probably wrestle Ronda Rousey. It'll probably be the main event at WrestleMania. I can't wait for that. Maybe Charlotte works her way into it. No clue. But no matter what, that's probably going to be the main event as it should be. And Seth Rollins, whether he wrestles Brock Lesnar or Daniel Bryan at WrestleMania, that'll be another marquee match. Again, very well deserved. I kind of was concerned that Braun Strowman would win, which I did not want to see happen because the last thing I want to see at WrestleMania is Braun Strowman wrestle Brock and the crowd just shit all over that match because I guarantee you that's what would happen. So I am happy with who won. I like Ronda Rousey and and that Sasha Banks match. I thought that was excellent. Sasha may have lost that match, but I don't think she got hurt by losing at all. In fact, maybe it even elevated her more as a serious contender. She's got that swag back. The four horsewomen sign after they kind of sort of shook hands after the match. That might lead to something else. I thought that was really cool. And in terms of the Rumble matches themselves, 
they were, I don't want to say boring, but they weren't very dramatic. I will say one thing I like that some people don't, and then we'll get wrap this up. A lot of people like bringing back the old school names and the and you know and the big surprises during the matches. I like that as much as the next guy, but I also understand what they're doing here. On the women's side, we already had last year Trish Stratus and Lita and Tori Wilson and Kelly Kelly, all these great former champions, Beth Phoenix. That was great last year. This year, it was about bringing more people in from NXT, from UK, from the Mae Young Classic. I like that because you know what? There's a lot of casual WWE fans out there that only watch Raw, SmackDown, and the pay-per-views. In fact, to be honest with you, for the most part, with a few exceptions, I'm one of them. I was impressed. That Rhea Ripley, I had never seen her in action before. Now I can't wait to see her on the main roster someday, hopefully soon. If it wasn't for the Royal Rumble, I never would have saw her. I like them bringing in people from NXT or from other places within that WWE universe. I like that. On the men's side, hey, that that Pete Dunne impressed the hell out of me, man. Alistair Black, he'll be on the main roster soon, and I can't wait. Looking forward to seeing him on Raw or SmackDown. Mustafa Ali, by the way, probably the MVP of the match. I loved him eliminating Nakamura and Samoa Joe kind of made him into a star. Looking forward to seeing what they do afterwards. Andretti eliminated Randy Orton. I thought that was pretty cool. Maybe that'll set up a face turn and maybe they'll have a program going forward. I am taping this on Monday, late Monday afternoon. So I don't know what's going to happen on Raw before you hear this on Tuesday. But all in all, it's a solid pay-per-view. It wasn't spectacular, but it was good. Just too long. And again, Becky Lynch tapping out in the middle of the ring, even though she came back and won the Women's World Rubble, just didn't like it. I think of her as a Stone Cold Steve Austin type, and Stone Cold's just not the type of dude that's going to tap out in the middle of the ring, and Becky Lynch should not be either. You know what I mean? That dude's fucking going to sleep or passing out. He ain't tapping. So I wish they wouldn't have done that with Becky. Besides that, pretty good pay-per-view. Now that I got that off my chest, again, I was complaining about five hours being too long for the show. Well, that rant was too long. Done with it, though. And here's my chat with my boy, Aaron Quinn from Cover One. I'm now joined by Aaron Quinn from Cover One. Had him on a few weeks ago, and I told you guys then I was going to make a recurring segment with him. Was not lying. Don't have a name for that segment yet, but whatever. We'll come up with something eventually. Anyway, what's going on, Aaron? How you doing? Man, I'm living the dream. Thankfully, they had me on again. (laughs) I'm glad to have you on. This is a great time of year for Cover One, so let me start there. There's a shitload of content going up on CoverOne.net from the Senior Bowl this past week. If you're into the draft and prospects, I mean, you'd be absolutely crazy to not go there. Tell fans listening right now a little bit about what they're missing if they're not on cover one, especially this time of year. Yeah, all kinds of things. And if, you, if you're if you not on the premium subscription, then you're really missing out because Eric was giving us all the tidbits and, and information first on our Slack channel. And you have access to that when you're a premium member. So uh, he was overhearing conversations between scouts of teams and he knew who those guys were and 
he was asking us uh, here back at our home stations to, hey, Google this guy because I think it's him and send me a picture and make sure that it is, you know, because he wanted to know who these guys are. It's a real networking event uh, for that aspect, the draft guy. So he was sending us all kinds of great little tidbits, who the Bills were meeting with, who they were looking at, who they were talking to. And uh, not a lot of that made its way to Twitter yet. Uh, so you got that information first, plus any of the footage he was getting, he sent to us first before putting out on Twitter. And then we all got to discuss it as a group, as a community. So, uh, the, the content's only getting more and more ramped up. I was just talking to, um, Justin Reed or Jordan Reed, who does a lot of the draft stuff for us about making his top 32 players, big board. Uh, and he, he's going to do a lot of cool things with that. So the, the content, these guys are just eating it up, man. All these draft geeks, uh, over at cover one. This is their time to shine. Yeah, sure. Now, from what you've heard, read or seen, Two UB players were at the Senior Bowl, quarterback Tyree yeah. Jackson, wide receiver Anthony Johnson. From what you've heard, how did they make out? How did they fare there? Yeah, I actually heard uh, kind of mixed reviews on uh, Tyree. I, I, some people were saying, you know, he performed maybe better than expected. And some people were saying, wow, this guy's a really big project. Obviously, you saw him in the game uh, come out and have some success in the game itself. Uh, there's not a lot you can make out of it. I am not big on Jackson uh, personally. I think that but I don't always take my word for it because I wasn't big on Josh Allen. And now I love the kid. So uh, this time of year is all kind of just speculation. But I think that his size just jumps off the charts. Uh, when people saw him in the weigh-ins, I was seeing on Twitter, people were ooing and eyeing. Uh, professional NFL scouts were ooing and eyeing when they read off his stats uh, for his height and weight. So there is something to that. And I think that's going to push him up the board. But then uh, Johnson's an interesting one because I think that the wide receiver depth in this draft and even at the senior bowl itself was so good. I mean, it, this is a great year for the bills to be looking for skill position players. So I think if maybe he was in a different year, he would be climbing uh, the ranks of that ladder a little bit more. But I think other guys kind of passed him in the process in the senior bowl and really said uh, you had your Debo Samuels, your Penny Hearts. Uh, Terry McLaurin uh, of the world really, I think, did more for themselves in their draft stock than any of the UB guys did. Uh, but I think still mid round guy going to be a good NFL player just didn't really, I don't think, pushed himself up to the next level uh, with some of those what those other guys were able to do. When it comes to Tyree Jackson, are you a little bit surprised that he ended up declaring and coming out early for the draft? Because, well, let me preface by saying this, neither you nor I are any type of NFL insider, so to speak. But everything that I've read, seen, and heard suggests that Tyree Jackson is being projected right now as a late-round pick, possibly not even a pick at all, and would be an undrafted free agent. Now, there were a lot of rumors going around, a lot of speculation that he was going to leave UB, transfer to another school. I have no idea if he had a problem with the program, but whatever the case may have been, obviously that never materialized, and he ended up going pro. Having said that, again... It just seems odd that somebody who is projected to be a quarterback, especially that's projected to be such a late round pick, if at all, that he would decide to leave when maybe if he had stayed at UB for one more year, had another good year, possibly he elevates himself into the conversation for 2020 as one of the top quarterbacks on the board. So having said all that, are you a little bit stunned? 
Yeah, no, I thought my first instinct was, man, somebody's given this kid really bad advice because it's not a great QB class this year, but he's not even in the discussion of one of these guys that's going to slip into the top of these QB needy teams. I don't think he'll go undrafted. I think somebody will take a waiver on him, like I said, just for the potential uh, and the size. Some scout's going to fall in love with him. You know they are. Sure. Uh, But I don't know that it was worth it to him. It's a tough one, man, when you're a kid in college and you get an agent in your ear saying, you know, you could really make it. Uh, even if you're a third, fourth round guy, you can get paid today versus going through another year of college. Obviously, I don't think UB is going to be the program it was last year, next year. So maybe he saw some of that writing on the wall. He said while he was at the senior ball that leaving UB was never uh, for another school was never a thought in his mind that he had his mind made up uh, to enter the draft. So. I mean, I kind of took that with a grain of salt. I don't know that he would come out and tell us like, yeah, I wanted to switch over to one of the bigger conferences. Uh, I think that would be a bad look for him and UB at this point. But I I think somebody's given him some bad advice. I know his agents are uh, the Gary Vanderchuk's uh, agency there, Vander Sports. Uh, So I don't know if they got in his ear, um, but it'd be a shame if he does go undrafted because you just hate to see those stories where, uh, you know, a kid risks it all and then, you know, barely makes an NFL roster. So I'd hate to see that. So I hope I do hope the kid gets drafted. But man, he's I think he's a big project for a team. Hopefully he can go somewhere like a, a Green Bay behind Aaron Rodgers or somewhere where there's a guy that they're not going to push this kid to play for a few years. I agree. I also think that his stock is going to rise some when you when you factor in the combine, his pro day, yeah. you know, private workouts because he passes the eye test. That's for sure. Physically, he definitely looks apart, but I agree with you. Huge project, and I'm not sure what advice he got, but, you know, hey, what do we know? Maybe they know something that we don't, and things will work out for him. Certainly, I hope it does. Who are a few guys that stuck out for you, and moving on past you, Bino, guys that stuck out for you at the Senior Bowl that impressed you that maybe they could come into play for the Buffalo Bills at some point in this draft? Sure. I think there was a lot of guys. uh, I don't pay much attention to the weigh-ins and things like that. I know a lot of people get excited about that, but there's in the practice session, there was a lot of guys that caught my attention, but I really tried to focus on what I think the Bills are going to attack. I know there's been a lot of controversy about Brandon Bean's comments at the uh, Senior Bowl when he said about not drafting for need and drafting best player available. I think there's a little bit of gray area in that and what his meaning of best player available is. I think they still are going to address the positions of need. You can't not do that. Uh, luckily for the Bills, there was a lot of offensive line and wide receiver skill position players at the Senior Bowl. And I thought that there's quite a few guys that if you're into mock drafts and doing the mock draft rundowns there, you might be able to walk away with a few of these guys. And we know that McBean and Dermott, if you look at the history, I did an article a couple, last year for Cover One looking at the history of Brandon Bean in Carolina. And even just the Bills and, and their tendency to draft seniors uh, and guys that attended the Senior Bowl. It's it's a real thing. They like seniors. They like these guys that go through this process. So some of these guys are probably going to end up being Buffalo Bills at some point. Uh, but to get to answer your question, Dalton Reisner was a guy I think a lot of people on Twitter were talking about, not just Bills fans. He came out with that hard hat mentality. This, I mean, it looked to me like McDermott was telling him exactly what to say every interview he was in uh he was getting guys worked up uh another defensive lineman took a swing at him because he was playing so hard it just feels like the McDermott cut from that cloth that he loves that culture that he preaches so that just felt very billsy and processy right uh, to me and the guy he's uh he's versatile right he talked about being able to play guard or tackle so he was a guy that really stood out to me in everything he said um 
the two big boys uh, from Oklahoma, Drew Samia. I'm probably butchering how he says that name. And then Ben Powers. I think both of those guys are interesting. Samia didn't perform as well, I think, as a lot of people expected. But he's a massive man. He is a large body. Uh, and I think that that's something that is going to intrigue the Bills to take maybe a further look outside of the Senior Bowl uh, and really get a look at him and see if they can't find a guy like that in the mid rounds to really fill that interior line position. Uh, Eric Turner kind of turned me on while he was at the Senior Bowl. A guy named Eric McCoy, Texas A&M center. We know that's a position the Bills really need to upgrade. We talked about oh, it yeah. last time. I talked. I mean, that's maybe the top position upgrade. Brandon Bean did allude to in his interview that he uh, would like to get a veteran center for Josh Allen to work with. And that's kind of something you and I talked about. about a guy that's seen a lot of things before. Uh, but if they don't aren't able to go that route, I can see a guy like McCoy coming in. Uh, and, and he looked pretty solid this week. And then two guys that have just driven up. I have a draft crush list every year, and it's usually about five guys. And the Bills never get any of them somebody else <laughs> grabs them and and i won't tell you the success rate on my draft cross because it's not great but uh the wide receiver at a uh, ohio state terry mclaurin uh i fell in love with him over this last week he was dominating on special teams he was getting open at every opportunity uh he just looks the part of uh, as polished of a receiver as you can get in a mid-round he looks that part and i think that he could come in and really make an impact for the bills and again he uh, John Ledger of the Draft Network had tweeted out something that he, after he was open and he beat guys in one-on-one uh, -on -one practice, he would talk to the DBs and explain what he did. And they were, the DBs were patting him on the back and everyone was speaking highly of him. And again, it just clicked to me that that is the kind of thing that McDermott and Bean like to talk about when they talk about the process and right type of culture and, and guys that want to do the right things. That kind of stood out to me. And then uh, the other guy that's moved up my uh, crush list is uh, Carl Granderson out of Wyoming. Josh, Josh Allen's buddy there. Uh, late round guy, but big, slim edge rusher that could I think that's where they're going to find an extra guy to come in on this defensive line is late in the draft to maybe help uh, in case Trent Murphy isn't the guy that we thought he was. So. That's really about it on my wish list of the Senior Bowl, but I, I think a lot of guys improved their stock throughout the week. Wow, solid info there, man. All right, so one more thing, and then I want to get to the Moranalytics interest meter. One more Buffalo-related thing, I should say. Explain to me what the Lofton exercise is. It's a way that Cover One ranks Buffalo Bills players. I saw it used on a post uh, ranking the Buffalo Bills defensive backs. What is that all about? Yeah, so we overheard it. Actually, Eric brought it up. He, he heard it, I believe it was on the Tim Graham show. Uh, it, it had James Lofton on there, and they were talking about this exercise that Marty Schottenheimer used to ask his staff every season at the end of the season to kind of a way to look back at your roster and decide what to do with it moving forward. And basically, it's in tiers of guys you can win because of. Uh, I believe it's guys you can win because of guys you can win with or we need better at this position. So we went through the entire roster. Um, I think it was Greg, myself and Eric and Fernando Schmoot, who writes a lot of our stuff for the Bills, went through the roster and we all did spreadsheets of picking the guys that can win games for us, guys that we can win with them. And then you need to upgrade this position uh, in order to win games. And it's a really cool exercise to go through. Uh, we had some really great debates uh, watching each other's play out. 
Uh, we mostly, I think, agree across the board, but there's always those one or two spots, and there are a lot of a lot of them are going to be depth positions to get over to the offensive line and wide receivers. Uh, but a lot of them are the depth positions of this team. But it it was an interesting way, I think, to look at the roster. Uh, at least for me, it was a, it was a fun exercise to say, "Wow, they really need." <laughs> there's a lot of work to do yeah. uh, this, this spring, you know, you, when you see it on paper like that. So I, I think we've gotten through defensive line and defensive backs uh, are out and published. I don't know if all the other ones have been published yet, but it's created some interesting conversation out on uh, Twitter. I really like it. It's a unique way to cover a team and to rank players. And I love websites. And I told you this last time that do things differently. Good stuff there. All right. So it's time to run through the Moranalytics interest meter. The way it works, for people out there listening who haven't heard it before, I'm just going to run off some topics, some sports, some pop culture, and Aaron's going to score it anywhere between a 0 and a 10. He could use fractions, 10 being, oh my God, this is so freaking interesting, 0 meaning, man, I truly do not give a shit. That's how it goes. So here we go. First topic, Nikel Roby Coleman, Rams defensive back on his matchup with Tom Brady says... And I quote here, age has definitely taken a toll. He's definitely not the same QB he was, end quote. Seriously, that dude said that about Tom Brady. 3.5. It does interest me, but I'm so mad that somebody started off the week by giving fuel to the fire of a team that's making up fuel about themselves to get up. Uh, I This really bothered me this week. So I'm... I, am more interested in it, but I'm going to try to downplay it because I'm going to try to pretend like it didn't happen. <laughs> you know, I talked about the top of my show about the Tom Brady whole underdog thing. Oh I, I could agree with you more, man. Why give the guy fuel? I, I just don't, don't get do it. it. Yeah. Oh, the Ram, the Rams PR must be scrambling right now. They don't want him saying that. I thought it was the dumbest thing you, he could have possibly done to start the week too. Especially a dude who should have committed a penalty that would have kept the Rams <laughs> out of the Super Bowl. I mean, what's the last thing you yeah. should be doing is talking shit. I hear you, man. Yeah. Next and topic. For Bills, for Bills fans, it hits a little close to home, too, because what's his name there? The old uh, D-line coach talking smack Super Bowl week. You know that it works on the other teams when, when you talk smack. It just gives them fuel. Oh, absolutely. Next topic, staying on Tom Brady. He already made it clear he's not retiring. He told Jeff Darlington there's no chance that this Super Bowl will be his last game. Three. I hate him. I don't, no, I don't hate him. I respect him, but I saw that coming. I didn't think he'd retire. He's already he's talked about wanting to play till 45. He said that multiple times. So um, I just I wish he would listen to his wife and be a good husband. And she wanted him to retire for a few years. I wish he would just, you know, take her advice. I listen to my wife all the time and it makes <laughs> a really happy relationship. Next topic. Alex Smith, not likely to play in 2019 for the Washington Redskins. They say that they're going to prepare as if he's not going to be there. From a Bills perspective, Washington has that 15th pick, and maybe this propels them to want to trade into the top 10 to get a top quarterback on the board. I mean, the Bills do own the ninth pick. Many, you know, like like always, would like to see the Buffalo Bills move down. What's your yeah. take? Uh, I think that's very interesting. I would say that seven and a half, seven point five of interest for me because I saw that. And then you also saw the rumors uh, that, which is probably not a great secret in the draft that Elway is in love with Locke uh, this year. So, you know, that there's some interest right around the bills pick for a quarterback. So if somebody wants to go get who they perceive to be the top quarterback in the draft, they're going to either have to get to the bill spot or jump the bills. And so that really 
increases that value. I don't try to, I try not to get too excited about all these trade rumors and the ability to trade down until it happens. So I, that's why I didn't push it more than a seven and a half, but I'm watching that very closely because that could really make uh, uh, people picking up the phone to call Brandon Bean as we get closer. Let me expand on this and we'll do this quickly. And, and in a future installment, we'll talk about this more in depth, but how do you feel about the bills trading down? I mean, it's easy to say it's good to stockpile picks when you have needs, mm-hmm. but at the same token, it's not so easy to move out of the top 10. When you could get a top 10 player, there's a good case to be made that you're trading away. You know, look what happened with Patrick Mahomes. The Bills traded out of that 10th pick a couple of years ago. You know what I mean? They I mean, Don't get me wrong. They got white. They got good picks out of it. I'm not saying the trade didn't or is not going to work out for Buffalo. But my point being is that everyone always wants to move down. But don't you think sometimes it's tough to give up a top 10 talent to do that? I do. I heard a really good argument from an economist a while back about where the best uh, place to draft is. And there were studies done and it is in the late first, second to third rounds as far as uh, what you get for value, how much difference uh, the player is, the bust rate on players, things like that. So uh, statistically speaking, I think it makes a lot of sense if you have the opportunity to do it, to do it, to get more picks. You're more likely with more picks to hit more times, right? It's it's like playing the lottery. Sure. The more cards you get, the more you can hit. But I agree with you, too. It's, it's very difficult for me because if guys are coming up and, and quarterbacks are moving guys down, if an Ed Oliver falls to who was perceived he was perceived to be the number one pick uh, six months ago. Uh, everyone was saying this guy is without a doubt the number one pick in the draft. And now he's kind of hanging out around where the Bills are picking. If you have the chance to get a, a talent like that that could possibly be uh, a guy that really changes the, as the, the way your landscape or your defense is, it's really hard to pass that up. So it's definitely – a, a difficult decision for them to make. I feel a little bit better about the trade back in this draft because I think there is a lot of talent in the the late first round, second and third rounds, where I think is where you would get a lot of your compensation for that trade and at positions that the Bills need. So I feel better. I, in my heart, it's what I want, but I understand the conflict that you're discussing. It's uh, If you have the chance to get a game changer, man, that's what the NFL is all about. You got to get those guys. Yeah. All right, let's change gears here. Next topic. Buffalo had the highest NHL all-star game rating in the market. They drew a 5.9, far more than Pittsburgh. I think it had a 4.7. And St. Louis, Minnesota, and Vegas were after that. In fact, Buffalo doubled every market in the nation other than Pittsburgh. So Buffalo, huge hockey viewing fan base. That's a nine for me because I'm not a huge hockey fan, but you look at and the NHL doesn't do great numbers in the in in America. We know that. But when you look at the numbers, Buffalo is always at the top of the list. And I don't think that they get treated by a lot of the places around the league as being the hockey town that they are. And they really are. I think it's one of the, the top hockey towns in the country. And I, I think they deserve an all-star game. Uh, and I think they deserve it a lot sooner than later. The the development around Key Bank Center, um, all, all the stuff that's down there, the the combines there, I think it would be a great place and a great gift to the city of Buffalo if the NFL, NHL does that. Good point. All right, next topic. Benjamin Albright, who's been on this show actually twice, and David Portnoy of Barstool Sports seem to have a pretty lively Twitter feud going on right now. Yeah, that's a 10. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm super interested in that. I cannot stand Barstool Sports. I 
do not like the Stooley Prez. I think he is kind of the worst part of a lot of our internet culture, and he drums up his troll boys to go out and and just rag on people, and they're mean, and they're vicious, and they attack. I love Ben Albright. He took a while for me to get used to online, uh, his style and sense of humor, Yeah, but I, I love the way he just rips people apart. He does it in a much more tactful way, I think. So the two of them going at it were like, yin and yang uh for me uh, and i hope that it continues a little bit further because i think albright will destroy uh stoolie prez big time so i'm i'm hoping to see more of it uh, when we get off this chat all right last couple here anthony davis has told new orleans he's no interest in re-signing a long-term deal and he's requesting a trade that's a, a eight for me because there's a part of me uh, that I'm a Bulls fan and part of me is hoping. I know he said he wants to go to a contender. I get it. I'm totally delusional, but that they can ship some type of package together. He's a Chicago guy, so I'd like to see him come back and make them a contender. Um, I don't blame the guy either. And we were having this in our Slack premium channel conversation. The one thing that a lot of people can dog on the NBA for their lack of parity or too many games or whatever it is you want to dog on the NBA for. I think the one thing you can't dog on the NBA for is the amount of control that players have with their destiny, whether it's in the draft, free agency, getting out of contracts. And I applaud that about the NBA. I think that um, you look at the Le'Veon, the uh, Le'Veon Bell situation this year. He really had no control over. He lost a whole year in his prime uh, where that won't happen in the NBA. It'll never happen because the players have control. So I applaud the NBA for that. Sure. All right. Second last topic here. And I know that you're not much of a baseball guy, but both Bryce Harper and Manny Machado far and away the two biggest free agents out there, neither of them are signed right now. That's a two for me. Um, I know the names and I think that, that that's crazy. That's why there's a little bit of interest. It's crazy to me. And knowing how in baseball, if you don't spend and get those guys like the, all the championship teams in baseball, you can spend money and win championships. And, and that that hasn't happened yet is crazy to me. But um as far as American sports, baseball is by far my least favorite. <laughs> hey, man, that's understandable. I think right now with both of them, it's a case where I'm sure they have pretty solid offers out there, but maybe they're hoping for something better. I think in Manny's case, I'm pretty sure that the White Sox probably have the top offer right now, but maybe he's still holding out hope that the Yankees end up coming in late with an offer that's at least comparable enough that he would take that. Maybe diddle for the Dodgers, although I would consider the Dodgers far less likely, especially now that they sound they signed AJ Pollock. As far as Harper, kind of the same deal. Everything indicates that the Phillies want him. The Phillies have probably offered him a lot of money. Maybe he's sitting there hoping that uh, the Washington Nationals end up coming through at the end by giving him the money that he wants, or maybe one of the New York teams, including the Mets, they get into it and uh, throw a surprise there. But still, like I said, man, two weeks right now, Going to camp two weeks and then trading camp starts. It's, it's kind of crazy. Yeah. The guy, a guy like Bryce Harper, though, he doesn't need to be, he, he can walk in opening day on any roster and perform. And I don't blame him for holding out for more money. I would do the same. I'm greedy. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Last topic here. And then I'll let you go on this day, 1985, 34 years ago. I know you're a little bit younger, but you ain't that young, bro. The greatest music cast ever assembled in one studio came to record We Are the World, USA for Africa. You'll never in your life see a better cast assemble musicians in one place at one time. 
that is a, a nine and a half for me. I one because I didn't know that that's news to me today. So I love learning something new. Uh, and two, I remember we had to learn that song all through elementary school and sing it in chorus and stuff like that. And that I just love that song. I mean, how could you not? I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a, a man of peace and love. And uh, that song screams it. And then you just run through the roster. Yeah, that's now. the whole thing. It's all about the roster. I mean, the song yeah. itself, you know, it, it, it's fun, but it could also be perceived as corny. But man, Michael. Bruce, Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, Lionel Richie. I, I, I could spend the next hour going out with the names. You already know the names. To me, it's just one of the more significant things in music history. I, I just, It'll never never happen again. Yeah, they absolutely. Won't be able to get that amount of, first of all, there, I don't think there is that much musical talent left to no. even compare. But they would, if there was, I don't think they'd be able to get all those types of people together. Absolutely agree with you. All right. Follow Aaron Quinn on Twitter. At Aaron Quinn 716. Again, go check out coverone.net. They got their free section, they got the premium section, all the details are on there. Dude, we got to come up with the title for this segment. I'll do it next time. I got to get you some theme music too. This is like wrestling. You got to have your own theme music. Oh, man. How about We Are the World? <laughs> no, I'll get my ass suit off. Yeah. <laughs> How about some officially licensed music? That'll work. All right. I'll look. I'll all look. right. <laughs> my man, until next time. Thanks, man. All right, boys and girls, that is a wrap for this episode. Big thank you again to Dan Fates from WROC Channel 8 in Rochester. That was a fun conversation. I look forward to having him back on when I do some office segments in the future. Thanks as well to my man Aaron Quinn from CoverOne.net. He's going to be a regular on this show. I told you that before. Lots of bills, NFL talk, all kinds of things. Look forward to having him back on again quite regularly. Coming up on Friday's show, I'm scheduled to have on Alex Pruitt, senior writer from Sports Illustrated. Very much looking forward to that conversation. If you haven't done so already, I invite you, actually, I implore you to please go and subscribe to this podcast. It's quick. It's easy. It's completely free. The advantage of subscribing is that once you do New episodes automatically get sent directly to your phone or to your computer within just minutes of the release. So you don't have to worry about forgetting about a new episode. I usually have a new show every Tuesday and Friday. If you have an iPhone or an iPad, just simply whip it out. Open up that purple Apple podcast app. Type in Moranalytics podcast under search and hit the subscribe button. Literally, that's all you got to do. Bonus points if you want to leave a five-star rating or review. That'd be pretty cool. If iPhones or iPads just aren't your thing, or if you just simply prefer getting your podcast elsewhere besides Apple, you can also hit us up on Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere that future award-winning podcasts are found. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter for updates, news, podcast polls, takes, silliness, God knows what else. You could do all that at Pat Moran Tweets. Have a nice, safe rest of the week. Don't listen to any more Tom Brady bullshit. We'll be back with another show on Friday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough and the ones who know we're tougher together. For the Pathfinders breaking new ground. 
Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you, so you can always depend on us. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.